Hi folks, welcome to the Unsung Podcast. I am, of course, your host, Mark Fraser, as I always am. <laughs> uh, this week we're a man down, but we've had, we've got a super sub, a super substitute has come into the place, our, our precious Dave. So, he came racing onto the park, <laughs> racing onto the park, straight into the action. <laughs> and it's also the first person we've had on the podcast who's not from either America or Britain, so that's great. <laughs> Chris, you want to introduce our guest here? Ferruccio! You want to introduce Hello. yourself in full? Hi, I'm Ferruccio from Bologna. Nice to be here talking to you guys. So, Ferruccio, I've known you for quite a long time now, and I still have never decided whether I say Kerchetti or Kerchetti. <laughs> well, neither of that. I mean, uh, it's Quercetti. <laughs> Quercetti. Quercetti. Yeah, okay. Quercetti. Okay. But uh, no worries. I mean, it's it's a difficult name even for Italians, you know. Sometimes, so <laughs> <laughs> don't worry too much about it. Fruccio, you play in some bands. Uh, you yeah, have relevant experience in the area of today's podcast. Uh, you're in the punk, but what are some of your projects? Well, my main project since 1996, my main band is Cut C U T. formed uh, as I said in 1996 in Bologna and uh, so we've been around for quite a long time now and uh, we recorded six or seven albums <laughs> I remember well seven albums if you count the live one and um, several 12 inches seven inches split split records it, one split record features Hey Enemy <laughs> a, band, a band from Glasgow <laughs> Can I say, well, yeah, your ex band, yeah, and yeah. I mean, we've been playing Glasgow several times. I mean, we, we I think our first time, first time I met have been 2010 or something, when I got to meet you, Chris, and uh, you know, and my first time in Glasgow ever. And then I spent some time in Glasgow, attending the University of Glasgow as a as a PhD student, an old PhD student, but a PhD student, mature, is the mature, 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 yeah, mature. <laughs> And that's it. I mean, I also have another musical project called, well, I had to say musical project because it looks like you're building a house. But anyway, I mean, I have another thing called Ferro Solo, which is a solo thing. <laughs> Obviously. And uh, that got started like uh, seven years ago more or less six seven years ago and i just released a couple of albums um uh, under that name uh with many people helping out you know from the italian scene and not only mm -hmm. and uh yeah that's it and then i did a lot of radio and uh be running a label for a while it was a disaster yeah. but you know <laughs> because Fer was so modest what he wouldn't tell you is he has an encyclopedic knowledge of punk post-punk, new wave, rock, even like going into metal. I mean, the, the, you are like Ferropedia. Wow. And um, <laughs> you have one of the most amazing record collections I've ever seen in my life. Um, I've, I've stayed at Ferro's place in Italy a couple of times and there's, I mean, there's just a room to die for, a room you could just get lost in. Um, I started, so, Fero, I you started were, young. You were, I started young. <laughs> <laughs> you were the perfect choice for this episode because oh. we are going to cover the album Pink Flag by Wire. Ben. 
This was my choice, um, but one of the things I was really wary of uh, is that there is just so much to talk about with Wire, uh, let alone you've got 43 years of performing, uh, but you've also got all the context, the bands that were immediately yeah. before them, the bands that were around uh, contemporaneously and and since, because they've got an incredible, incredible legacy as well uh, as influencers. Um, so... Yeah, you're going to have a little bit of heavy lifting to do, Ferro, with with regards to some of the history of this scene. Because mm-hmm. honestly, I don't think I know anyone that, that knows it better than you. So yeah, we can we can wade right in. Now we should say, by the way, just as a a shout out, David. Oh, he's, David always seems to have family sort of bad luck with like medical incidents. Yes, um, and, he does. It's yeah, very Dave's, unfortunate. Dave, <laughs> Dave's fiance has busted her ankle in a bad way, so oh. uh, our, our thoughts go out to those guys. But I'm sure the three of us are going to sail through this. Um, Wire. Wire. Piece. One of those bands, by the way, we don't get enough of them, but we always tend to mention it when we do. One of those bands with a fairly consistent lineup almost all the way, with mm-hmm. like two two exceptions here, but formed in London in 1976, Colin Newman, Graham Lewis, Bruce Gilbert, and uh, Robert Go- was it Robert Gotebed? Yeah. Is that what yeah, he called yeah. himself? But his real name was Gray. Yeah, um, and only one of those uh, original members has departed since. It's still, still the three of them, with added services. Ferro, uh, where did you first hear Wire? When did you first hear Wire? Well, uh, uh, I, first I have to introduce my uh, my life in the <laughs> in the mid eighties when I started when I started listening to music. I was living in a small village in the center slash south of Italy. There wasn't much music around, you know. There was uh, there wasn't much alternative music around, as, as they called it back then. And uh, <clears throat> so, I had magazines. I was reading a lot of magazines, like religiously reading those magazines. And Wire were one of those names that was coming back all the time. You know, it was just about this huge influence, you know, of this band. But actually, the first time, but I never heard them. I never had the chance to actually listen to them until I bought this album called uh, Document by a band called R.E.M., which I guess everybody knows. And uh, they had a cover on that album. They, They did the cover of Strange... from obviously from Pink Flag by Wire. So that's that was the first time that I actually, through another band, I got to listen to Wire. I got to listen to Wire's music. It's really strange because I'm the exact same. Uh, pardon the pun of strange, but yeah, that was my first introduction was I loved Document. Was it Document number five or Document? And it was the fifth album maybe. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the strange cover in that. It's one of the standout songs on that record anyway. And yeah, doing a little bit of digging and being like, who are these people? Although I made the mistake, uh, well, not the mistake, I came from a small town as well. And when I went to find the album that came from, in this case, Pink Flag, I couldn't find it. So I bought the only Wire album I could find, <laughs> uh, which was Manscape on cassette. Okay. 
and I got something that I really did not expect. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and this is this is this is going to be a pretty big feature uh, of this episode um, because Wire are a band who broke up and reformed effectively twice. Uh, so they've got three distinct phases. Uh, the first phase, which uh, nailing my colours to the mast is the best phase I think uh, that was three albums which we'll talk about in a moment uh, then they came back in the mid 80s really and embarked on this much more electronic kind of new wave gothy weird dark experimental direction which has yeah. some, some real moments but also I have mixed feelings about it and then Again, came back at the, the early 2000s, I think it was 2003, mm. with Send, yeah. uh, and they'd sort of reverted back a little bit to more of a post-punk band. Uh, there, was a bit of a, there was a bit of a resurgence thing happening then anyway, because that was around about the time the band Mission of Burma reformed and, and brought out On Off On. And I think part of that, I don't know for a fact, but I think part of that is probably down to things like the ATP festivals mm. um, starting to dig into the past and, and, and inviting these kind of legendary influencers to reform and appear at their shows and I think Wire maybe just realised hey, there's so many bands appearing at these concerts these festivals that we've, we'll probably get a, we'll probably get invited it's probably a good time to, to have a go at this again. And they've produced some worthwhile stuff since then, but I, I will say I think they've been a, a band of diminishing returns since that first burst of inspiration I mean were you able to get any other stuff where you were from Ferro because I found them I found them to be quite a much more obscure band than a lot of their peers in terms of trying to, f- to find them you know I mean it wasn't hard to find The Clash or Blondie or The Ramones it was hard to find Wire the Oh absolutely it was, um, it was not easy at all especially in the like in the mid 80s you know and then they when they came back with albums like um, uh, The Ideal Copy or uh, A Bell uh, A Bell is a Cup Until It's Struck <laughs> with, with um, Kidney Bingo single which was a minor hit you know I remember and that was the first time I remember that was the first time when I saw a video Like I saw, uh, there was this popular, uh, very commercial show on Italian TV, on Berlusconi's TV, (laughs) (laughs) Italia Uno, uh, which was incredibly popular among teenagers, you know, this channel and this program called DJ Television. And at a certain point, you know, the video video was... um, Broadcast by Wire, and for the first time I heard Wire played by Wire, <laughs> and I liked it, you know. And uh, but the first time I heard the first three albums uh, was actually at the very end of the '80s when a friend of mine, because uh, my family is split into half of my family comes from the north. I had a friend from the north who was like similar to me, you know, this <laughs> crazy, yeah, crazy passion for music, and that basically made me a C90 with a kind of a best of, you know, of the first oh, yeah. three albums. And that cassette really blew me away, like blew my mind, you know. So I said, oh, okay, finally, you know, because yeah, I liked. I mean, I liked the Kidney Bingo song, and I liked. I think I, I got already got. Um, the album A Bell is Struck uh, sorry A Bell is a Cup until it's struck and um, which is a good album but but you know what really changed my 
entire perception of the band was this cassette that my friend did to me, the C90, with yeah, a resume of the first three albums, you know. Yeah, it was a curated collection by, exactly. a, by a friend in the room. Exactly. Mark, and Mark, that was what about brief. you? I mean, you're a, you're a big punk fan, so why are a formative influence and in, I'd imagine a lot of the bands that you'll enjoy, um, but I'm not sure how familiar you actually were with them. It turns out I've uh, I'd heard Mannequin in a film before, but I couldn't remember what film it was in. And when I googled it, I couldn't find what film it was, <laughs> um, which is really frustrating. Uh, and yeah, that's the first time I'd heard them probably a few years ago, but I had no idea that's who it was until I was doing this podcast. So the first time I heard them was a couple of weeks ago. Um, well, yeah, I would probably say that I was going to say that this is not the kind of music I really like that much. But then I realised that I've made a playlist of three and a half hours of songs of theirs that I liked from other albums. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's not a bad return yeah, for someone that you're not that into. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was going to say hmm, maybe that's not entirely true. Fifty-one songs out of an entire forty-three-year-old <laughs> discography is, is quite a lot of music. Um, yeah, I mean, I will, like again, even though I I would consider myself a fairly decent level of fan. I do. I get very selective as the career goes goes on. Um, I've got a friend, uh, a friend of the pod, in, in some respect, Phil Eaglesham, um, P six of of the Salvo. He was in the Stretchheads, and Phil had actually toured the Wire when he was part of that band. He knows him quite well. First and foremost, he says they're a very, very decent group of people. Um, Phil described them as the real deal when it comes to being a band. He says they just they love their music. Great performers, still really creative and adventurous in what they're doing. Um, and Phil and I kind of were chatting over some of the kind of standout songs from the the later stuff. I think he's he's a fairly big fan of a lot of their side projects as well. And their side projects were very experimental. We're, now this pod is not going to really go into side projects because frankly I don't think we can do them justice. Certainly not if we're trying to keep it fairly focused. So we're just going to stick to wire because. Off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure they have 17 studio albums, 17 live albums, eight or nine EPs, and then just loads and loads of other peripheral stuff. So we really can't even... There's no point in us trying to dip into the side stuff. We'll give it a passing mention. But the side stuff started to inform their career as it went on, and the career did get more experimental, more gothy, darker. And so we'll, we'll, we'll pull out a couple of the, the, the highlights of that. I mean, I'm saying I think they were a big influence on the punk stuff, or a lot of the punk stuff you'll be into, Mark. Um, but one of the things that really stands out to me about Wire, and one of the reasons that I think they had to be nominated here, even though Pink Flag is a very revered album in the in the scene of people that know it, I think it's dramatically under-acknowledged for this, the level of influence that it had across the board, because I mean, if I'm, I've got a list here of bands that Wire were a, either a, a moderate to large influence or uh, on. Okay, so one thing, by the way, that sometimes levelled at them is people say, "Oh, they're ripping off New Order." If anything, it went the other way. Um, Peter Hook was a really big fan of Wire, especially the bass work in it. Um, and Wire even with Joy Division Wire's record came out in 77 and Joy Division really kicked on in 79 so you've got New Order there uh, with the American side of things you've got Black Flag Henry Rollins loved them uh, ended up doing a cover of Ex Line Tamer from this album mm-hmm. 
Uh, Minor Threat famously covered 12XU uh, and basically that song got quite a, a bit of discussion I think because that sort of set the groundwork for a lot of the US hardcore scene oh, just so in that one formula Uh, bands like Boss Hog also covered Dex Lion Tamer. Uh, Big Black, Steve Albini's acerbic 80s project, did the cover of Heartbeat. They were also really influenced, I think, by the kind of dark wave sort of stuff that Wire get into. Obviously, we mentioned REM. Uh, the Cure. Robert Smith's a really big fan of Wire uh, and I think we'll talk about the impact of, there's one song in particular on one of the albums uh, that I think is a big influence on pornography uh, the British pop scene, Lush uh, did a cover of Outdoor Minor, a great song by them Uh, Elastica, that'll be a talking point because <laughs> yeah. they basically <laughs> ripped them off. Ri- ri- yeah, <laughs> ripped them off and had to pay damages. Uh, but Phil was saying as well, and um, that at the point in Wire's career where the lawsuit against Elastica was settled out of court, it was the money from that that actually kept them solvent because they were really struggling at that point. This is a band that has a huge legacy, had a huge footprint culturally, but yet they were never, ever well off. Very modest record sales compared to their peers. Mm. Um, you had bands like, indie darling bands like Guided by Voices. Uh, I can't remember the boy's name from that, but he said it's his, Wire's his favourite band. Uh, My Bloody Valentine did a cover of them. Um, you've got more contemporary stuff, Block Party, Franz Ferdinand, The Future Heads, The Strokes in a big way. Like These bands were all really, really influenced, especially by this era of Wire that we're talking about. Uh, Johnny Marth, The Smiths loved them, oh, yeah. Ladytron, uh, Nine Inch Nails, The Newborn Turks, uh, Ministry, The Chorus of Thieves in particular. Al Jurgensen's admitted that's a rip from Wire. Uh, Helmet, Paige Hamilton says are one of the best five bands to ever happen and for you Mark especially the Manic Street Preachers <laughs> yeah you can hear I mean you can definitely hear a lot of that in a lot of those bands there's a lot of bands you mentioned here that I despise and that's probably why the fact that, that some of the bands you mentioned are the reasons why whenever I go back and listen to post-punk I just hate it and yeah, but I, it's so diverse though that I mean to go from yeah. like yeah, like Lush to Nine Inch Nails to Ladytron to you know Big Black, it's it's wild the, yeah. the, the diversity of the influence. By the way, can I just add a wee addendum? The Manic Street Preachers thing's got an asterisk, okay? Because uh, what's his name? What's the singer from Manic Street? James Dean Bradfield. So James Dean Bradfield was doing an interview, and I think he'd spoken positively about uh, Wire, and then he acknowledged that uh, Vir- is it Virginia State epileptic. Colony, yeah. Is that, is that a, a track from their album mm-hmm. um, called again? Journal for Plague Lovers. 
that's the one, right? So he said they were basically trying to be a softer version of Wire in that song, mm-hmm. and then Colin. Uh, from Wire went on uh, a Lamax show and gave a Manic single 0 out of 10 mm-hmm. but did acknowledge that at least it wasn't their worst song <laughs> 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 and James Dean Bradfield wasn't very impressed Nicky Wire was even less impressed uh, coincidentally yeah you can, um, you can hear it you can hear a lot of uh, and a lot of that in Andy's enunciation uh, the way he sings um, I think comes through and in the darker moments of, of the Manic the less ostentatious stuff the, the stuff that's not so doesn't have like massive stadium rock guitars wires definitely mm-hmm. in there and I was going to yep. say um, just to kind of close off the point that I was I was making there about post-punk I had to leave a lot of that behind to get into this and it was hard to begin with your baggage you yeah, mean your, uh-huh. your kind of weird hang up about it yeah because it's just like for me when I think of that I think New Order and Joy Division two bands I loathe like quite a lot and um, none of it is as good as this you know this band, this band continued, continued, and and well after this will continue to surprise me. I think, and mm. that's like a small joy for me. I think, I definitely think they're one of the the bands of that era that has aged the best for sure. Um, I don't think that's across the board. There are exceptions to that throughout their category, but se- throughout their catalogue. But certainly, this early period has these this first three especially, and I would I would suggest as well the, the two after. Uh, they've, they've stood up really really well. Mm-hmm. Um, Pharaoh, do you think I'm no, no, absolutely. Fair? I mean, also because if you as you said. Briefly, you know, you mentioned the fact that in 1977, they basically had no peers. Like, there was almost nobody doing what they did, what they were doing. Uh, I can only think uh, something that impactful and, or innovative in terms of well, talking about the rock pop realm, more or less. Mm. I, you know, I can only think about suicide. He's a little so cute. Doing something yeah. as as impactful as crazy, basically, uh, or or maybe the residents, the third Reich and roll. From 1976, those those albums, like the first Suicide album in 1977 and, and the Residence in 1976, uh, are the only things that come to my mind. Uh, that again, in the realm of of rock slash pop music, that can be compared to the level of innovative uh, approach that that. that, that uh, wire brought to the table with the first album yeah see for um for listeners that are struggling to place it a wee bit i just made a little list to try and give you some context uh never mind the bollocks came out in 77 see i think this came out was it a, a month after i think it was a month yeah, after i mean i remember exactly released. but yeah uh london column is 79 the clash is self-titled was the same year as this mm-hmm. uh stiff little fingers uh what was it inflammable material that was 79 Uh, Ramones was what, 76 yeah is that, is yeah, that yeah. right XTC I think are one that's like a pretty good shout that was 79 where are you 
Joy Division was 79, you had a couple of Sham 69 records in 78, uh, you had The Kids in 78, The Pop Group in 79. Uh, one that I think is a reasonable comparison is Gang of Four Entertainment was 79 and I think some of that po- post-punk stuff and Who is later though yeah. you know um, Undertones 79, Buzzcocks 79, Suicide as you said 77, Talking Heads 77 yeah. is quite a good one. Perubu, The Modern Dance, that was 78. Uh, the sound, who we've we've jammed on quite a few times, that's seventy nine. Uh, I think a, f- a decent shout, albeit again two years later, the fall uh, live at Witch Trials, yeah. seventy nine. And then in terms of inventiveness I would say this heat and Devo both were 79 as well yeah But why 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 are there a good two or three years ahead of this curve? Uh, I think the I think Devo might be seventy eight and maybe Ecstasy is a bit earlier than seventy nine. I mean, uh, but 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 anyway, why were there? Bef- I mean, yeah, probably Devo. Devo had been playing since nineteen seventy five or four, something like that. But they didn't put out the f- their debut album until 1978. Devo can be compared, I think, you know, in the, in the American, in the North American context. Yeah. And the same, like, for instance, if you take a band like Ultravox, Ultravox, like, they released the first album in 1977. <laughs> I mean, uh, early Ultravox, I mean, you know, John Fox era, which I like. But Ultravox had more or less the same influences as Wire. You know, they, you can hear Eno and Roxy music, you can hear, you know, Eno and Bowie, you can hear Eno and something, Eno all over the place. You can, you can, okay, there's the Velvet Underground, uh, you know, there's some Krautrock there as well. 
Yeah, uh-huh. they said they were big fans of Noi and Can. Yeah, but you know, with Ultravox, you still can perceive the decadent romanticism of seventies rock and roll. Sometimes, yeah, totally. You know, totally. you still it's have very that, sexy. Yeah, you still have that 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 atmosphere like a decadence. You know, and whether with Wire, like well, you don't get that. The Wire is much more lean. You know, there's no romanticism. There's no yeah. There's no decadence. Basically, you know, everything is pretty. Mm-hmm. More, there's alienation and frustration, but not, but never a feeling of like decay. So, so I was just going to say, um, just the last thing I picked up before we started recording, I was reading an interview uh, with Colin Newman, and he described the British scene at the time as like a big empty box. He thinks that there was a movement that, as far as he's concerned, was a little bit more style than substance, and he felt that there were more classic albums came out of the American scene than the British scene. So he's like, even though Wire were a British band, he feels a bit more kinship with the American movement. He felt there were more truly excellent albums coming out of that. And I think in their sound, you can hear that kind of American sensibility yeah. for pop. And on and, and this album especially, you can hear some great pop music married to the sort of disenchantment that was you know, all over the place in Britain at that time, that cold punk movement. Because punk here was a lot nastier and he described it as backward looking. I think it was happy to just be antisocial. Whereas in the States, with the Ramones and things like that, they were pushing it in a direction that actually made it quite palatable as well yeah. as exciting. Um, and he, he said that he just, he, he finds the American movement a lot more rewarding. It's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, i seen, I was reading an interview in the Rolling Stone that they did when... Um, you know, for 40 years, from the 40th anniversary a couple of years ago. And then Newman talks about how he didn't like rock and roll music. He was more into the psychedelic pop of the 60s and he wanted to write something that was very stripped back and almost kind of brutal. He almost felt mm-hmm. as though he had to kind of reinvent the idea of what rock music was. But he then also talks a little bit about how he actually did enjoy the punk bands of the time because when you'd go down and see them live in a, in a venue, if you go see Sex Pistols, for example, they would be hilarious. A lot of that, st- a lot of that <laughs> stuff was just funny, and they would take the piss, and they would play like obscene covers and all that. And he was like, "I really enjoyed that aspect of it. I enjoyed the that's that kind of feeds into the humour the lyrics that they've got because he mm-hmm. could he could identify with that as well. And if that comes across, you know, I think the way that he sings and 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 the playfulness of particularly the early first three records, you know, and and the way that he writes songs is a huge influence in a lot of punk bands going forward. That I think back to your original point is very under acknowledged in fact uh, I mean I always found a, a similarity with a band that doesn't normally gets mentioned when we talk about Wire but I think that the modern lovers I'm straight and I want to take it I said I'm straight I said I'm straight Oh yeah, Jonathan. I mean, they had the same. They had the same attitude. They had the same in a very different way. <laughs> Obviously, Jonathan Richman has this wide-eyed approach. You know, in these songs. You know, sometimes even when it's cynical, you know, it's always like this almost ingenue. You know, this like an American ingenue compared to. Colin Newman's European, you know, sense of, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, it's a different approach. But still, you know, in The Modern Lovers, you have the same lack of decadence, the same lack of romanticism. Yeah, there's romanticism, but it's a different one. You know, it's a more of a fresh approach and uh, <clears throat> without the baggage of the 
rock and roll decadent style, lifestyle of the 70s you know you have this very fresh and young and, and popular approach somehow but also the Ramones you know I, th- I think that paradoxically even if apparently there's a lot of distance between between the sound of Wire and the Ramones but I think the how do you say when something is uh, stripped down basically <laughs> but the fact that the sound of the, the Ramones man- was, the minimalism the minimalism exactly the minimalism of the Ramones sound is has been really influential on 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 wire much more than I don't know Sex Pistols or or you know or or other other classic uh, punk rock bands. I think they got a lot of that minimalistic attitude from the American scene rather than you know the mm-hmm. the UK scene. Obviously, we're talking about the first record in their canon, but it would probably be nice to just dip in and skim over some of the the records that followed it because. It's not easy to pick from Wire, certainly from the early records, because there's definitely an argument to be made, and I've seen the argument made, that both of the next two records are more underrated than this one, so I don't agree, but they do deserve a little bit of stage. Um, So, Cheers Missing, 1978. By the way, Cheers Missing is apparently a slang term for being a wee bit mental. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's there's some Cheers Missing in that guy's front room. That's uh, He's two sandwiches short of a picnic type power. I mean, it, it, it's an album that, that in, like, immediately shows that even just since their debut, they've grown. It's only been a year, but they've grown. They've they've, they've brought in some new ideas, much moodier, but still distinctly them. Um, I'm not a huge fan of that opening track. It's cool. It's cool as a statement. I think musically, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about how much I enjoy it. Um, but the second tune in it, French Film Blurred, I think is tremendous. a really really good song by them and one of the earliest times other than R.E.M. that Wire were brought to my attention was in interviews with Ian McKay Ian McKay Mm. and um, he just said they were such a huge inspiration in Fugazi that Fugazi would never have sounded the way it did without them and I think on that song French Film Blurred you can really hear the the intertwining kind of pointillism of the guitars that created the argument and end hits and all that kind of later more kind of experimental innovative stuff that Vigazi are so so good at it was so distinct Those two songs were written when they were doing all the demos and stuff for Pink Flag, and they just left them off the record because they didn't. They knew they, knew they didn't fit, so they kept them for Chairs Missing, which is quite interesting. It sounds like they benefited from the, the little bit of time. I can imagine them having been done a bit more simplistically, mm-hmm. uh, and so the fact that they're slightly more sophisticated on this uh, definitely complements them. Um, the third track on it, another the letter. <laughs> Just as such a step up, thanks to the, the producer. Uh, what was the producer's name again? Mike Thorpe is the same Mike guy Thorpe. that did the Mike, first record. Yeah. 
yeah, so he did the first three, and he he was a big synth guy, and he started bringing in kit for this, and that that track has a very very prominent ARP like arpeggiated synth in it, mm-hmm. um, and it's, a, it's a, what a shock it must have been for people at the time who thought they knew Wire as well to like he, to get to that third song and be like, what the fuck is this? Um, I mean, it's still very punk, it's still got a lot of energy, and it's still quite snotty, but it's got a new dimension added to it, and that seems to be what he what he brought to the table. Marooned uh, track five, quite a brave one for them. It's like even slower and gloomier and sort of yeah. darker than than any of the early stuff. Um, a big, big one to mention is a uh, outdoor miner. I mean, it, it, it taps into some of the best melodic moments of Pink Flag. Uh, it's possibly a slightly slicker realisation of them. It's a really well-constructed song, like total head bobber. There's an interesting detail to, outside, uh, to Outdoor Miner as well. It got to number 51, and they were contacted by Top of the Pops. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Top of the Pops were like, oh, you know, you can come on the show next week, provided the, the, the record keeps selling. Uh, and then in the week in between their scheduled appearance, which, by the way, would have mean, meant being introduced by Jimmy Savile EMI I don't know interns employees were caught buying copies of the record to try and push it up the charts and uh, the record was was removed from the charts as a punishment really EMI claimed this was standard practice at the time and that everybody was doing it they'd just been daft enough to get caught with their hand in the cookie jar but that was uh, Mm -hmm. uh, that was it that's that shot that that ruined their chances of getting on top of the pops which again might have been a big step up for Wire in terms of even the fall got on there you know so that could have been a a part of their career that that there was a sort of missed opportunity Maybe, maybe they don't see it like that um the 11th tune as well, and that one, I Am The Fly. Really, really interesting tones in that, that weird sort of broken transistor yeah. thing that, that he uses on the guitar. He was starting to experiment with a lot of pedals at this point. Um, it's also got a great use of hand claps in that song, which I think's. I love that. I love yeah. that in the context. Who I mentioned counts um, that as being one of the most important songs? I am the fly. That and their practice makes perfect. Being like two of the most important songs, like of their career. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a really fun album. I don't think. It doesn't quite hit you in the face as hard as the first one, and we'll, we'll go into detail about why that is, but it's got so many good moments on it. Arguably, I even prefer 154, the third of this trilogy, the, the album that followed in 1979. It got to number 39 in the UK charts, I think, and that was their highest ever place, and um, there's some really, really good songs in that. I mean, I, I should have known better, the first one in that, New Sound Again. It's not your place to come Starts like a completely different band, really. It's like this gothy, dark wave baritone thing that just 
we, we use this phrase in the show quite a lot, but blows open the gates of possibilities for future albums, really widens the parameters of what can be considered an option for them. Um, two people in a room. You're back into the kind of punk thing. It's angular. It's noisy. It's got loads of bits of like the fall and some nods to what would be. I mean, bands like At the Driving, for example, those guys love the fall. They love the wire, and you can hear tracks like this influencing them. Um, the fifteenth. Brilliant vocal in that song. Just it like shows what an excellent ear he had for a pop hook. Less frantic maybe than some of the earlier stuff, but it's still really in keeping. Now, a track I really wanted to pick out here, and I think it's a huge track, not not just for th- this band, but for for a whole slew of acts that followed. Is number six, a touching display. I mentioned it earlier in the context of the cure and pornography because I think the first part of this song, the the gothy, dark, wavy thing, is very influential on them. I bought a ticket, you took a walk, so much to say, we're unable to talk. Suffering in silence, our eyes give it away. But there's something else to this tune because this is like basically nigh on seven minutes, um, and it does this really, it descends into this really cavernous, sort of trippy art punk with drone, sort of prog vibes. It's kind of hard to tell what's synth and what's guitar in it. The vocals at the start are obviously really mournful, but by the end, it's just from 325, it's just huge distorted chord that resonates and sets the scene for, like, I think so much music that followed. I mean, bands like Swans, all the way through to bands like Earth, all the way through to bands like Melvins, they're all influenced by this decision that this band made. And the, the point that this one decision, this one song arrived at, I'm not crediting this with inventing these genres, because obviously bands like Black Sabbath and Blue Cheer and all these bands had been there, but that sound had never transitioned from metal into something art or synthy. This was a band that was doing art punk or you know post-punk or new wave, but it was then also incorporating this sort of doomy, dark as fuck sound. I, I mean, it was such a bold move and also not just a bold move but a move that they pulled off which I think is really really impressive mm-hmm. it's a good song that I am. I was surprised to hear it on that record because it does sound as though it's a little bit out of time a bit anachronistic almost but yeah like that, that, that is one of the ones that worked for me in that record and also Matt Breath 41 Degrees Chorus Interrupting my train of thought Lines I'm lonely to the latitude If I 
um, was that's a, a brilliant tune absolute brilliant banger tune. Um, mm-hmm. but of the first three that this is the album that left me cold to most I think it's really hard for me it's incredibly hard for me uh, also because because of that famous C90 that my friend did to me I always perceived these albums as a one block like yeah. as one unit like a piece of work that was almost untouchable and 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 also it was very hard for me to break it down into single songs for a while because yeah. of the brevity sometimes of the songs you know because one mm-hmm. thing that we forgot to mention is how short most of the songs especially on on pink flag were yeah. like 39 mm-hmm. seconds you know yeah. <laughs> you know i mean and that's 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 something that not even the ramones not even you know almost maybe just yeah coming back to the residence on third rock and roll they experimented with this sound bit bites that were almost songs you know 40 seconds long but you know they were the only ones to, to like to have this really super super short songs which sometimes were like and sometimes you had they had the six minute number you know like on 154 uh, you have a couple of songs mm-hmm. that i think are around six minutes so basically for me this these albums were just one constant flow i mean i can't really say what oh, what is my favorite i mean for a long time um just to be like solomonic can you say that solomon king solomon i i i, yeah, I, yeah, I used yeah. to say that you know um chess missing was my favorite because it's the middle one because it's you know <laughs> between the two yeah. yeah between the two and a funny thing i want to say about chess missing my copy of chess missing is an Italian copy, uh, a used copy I got, and the guy who owned it, owned it before me, he must have been, he or she must have been shocked by the fact that, you know, they had changed so much because he put like uh, crosses on the punkier songs. <laughs> like saying these are the songs who actually rock you know <laughs> these are the songs that rock you know and and uh, you know like three three stars on every like uh, man second sending my joints uh, too late uh, I am the fly uh, I am the fly gets a pass too from, from <laughs> this person but you know because you know probably you know so probably probably was a DJ <laughs> so yeah, he, yeah. He, he, he wanted he, he, he selected the faster the faster tunes but anyway I, it's very hard for me these three albums are just one piece of work that is almost untouchable the personnel on each album is basically the same mm-hmm. even the people who, do, who did the artwork are basically the same people uh, you know mm-hmm. well most of the um, graphic concept was had been done by Lewis and Gilbert if I'm not wrong so by yeah. two band members mm-hmm. and uh, even there is this Kate who's playing like some extra instruments sometimes and she I guess is back on all the albums and you have obviously Thorne uh, Mike Thorne so you know you have, you have basically the same personnel yeah, and, yeah. and it's even more impressive to see how much they developed together in a, such a short period of time between 77 and 79 but you know they all sound they really sound organic they really sound like you know and a process of growth and development a group of people really see them talked about like that generally anyway as being the sort of triumvirate that first period and then the band sort of split effectively you know there was sort of like creative differences over what was happening i, I mean it's it's kind of interesting so in, in 1981 they kind of do this weird thing and they bring out a record called document ah, yeah. and eyewitness Upon the long 
His look is straighter than most. It's an LP, and I mean, it's it's pretty wacky. So it was recorded live. <laughs> um, it described in some corners as unlistenable. Um, it reminds me a little bit of things like Locust Abortion Technician by Butthole yeah. Surfers or Stag by Melvins, where they've they've kind of indulged their artistic sensibilities to the extent where it's not a lot of fun to actually listen to it. Really, the completists are cool, it's good, it's out there but I think it showed that the band were pulling in some really different directions at that point, was that Gilbert had written one track in the second album, two tracks in the third album and some of the stuff was pretty far out there as well and this really sort of set the scene for them embarking on all these uh, solo projects that, that, that they were going to undertake <laughs> the period between 154 and them getting back together again was sort of dominated by a lot of side projects. Now, we're not going to go into side projects, but to just do a sort of very, very basic tour, some of the names that appear are things like He Said, which was Graham Lewis's solo project. Cupol, C-U-P-O-L. Uh, you got Shivering Man, which was Gilbert's solo. Uh, one of the main ones, I think the main one arguably, is Dome. Um, which was Gilbert and Lewis yeah. and Dome pro- produced a number of records and good records. Some of the stuff from this period after the 154 album became Dome tracks. And although the Dome records can be at times tough going, um, there, there's also a lot of like really decent stuff mixed in amongst that. And you can tell that they're really stretching their art as well, seeing where they can go with it, feeling a bit less constrained. Uh, there's a project called uh, Duet Emo. which is, uh, who else did we have? Gilbert and Lewis are on it. Uh, Daniel Miller, who was the founder of Mute Records, he was he was the third member of that as well. They only did one record. Um, I think there was somebody else collaborated on that as well. Um, you, Colin Newman did a load of stuff. He had a solo uh, record called AZ or AZ in 1980. He had a record which is quite divisive, which is called provisionally titled The Singing Fish yeah. in 1981, which uh, I'm not sure it's great. Uh, you had Not To in 1982 they obviously Wired got back together again but then he did more stuff going on from that he had Commercial Suicide in 86 which was kind of big and orchestrated uh, there was a record called It Seems uh, there was a thing called Bastard from the mid 90s which was an instrumental kind of collaboration with his wife which became a real feature Uh, 
from 2004 he was doing a thing called Get Head which was his wife and other um, contributors uh, there was a project called Immersion which did a number of albums So there's a lot of stuff going on on the periphery but certainly at this time you could tell it was a bunch of people that wanted to experiment found wire a little bit constraining and so just went away in their own directions but they came back together again and they came back together again I think with pretty to pretty good effect Hey whoa 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 stop Stop the podcast, right? We need to stop it here. I'm sorry, it's been super entertaining. I'm having a good time. We're talking about a band I didn't think I'd like, but I'm loving. Um, but we've kind of went on a wee bit. I think we shall return to this episode next week. So join us next Monday for part two of our episode on Wire Pink Flag. Pink Flag.